What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 230 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Saturday, July 24th, 2001. My name is Josh Cannon, and I am here with my co-host, Mike. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. Uh, background check went through, uh, and I got my second job. Working and... two jobs, eh? Yeah, working two jobs. Compare uh, that to, what, three or four years ago where you were working zero jobs? Exactly. Uh, the the hours on average so far I looked at in the next couple of weeks is going to be like uh, 32, around 34. Not bad. Uh, at my other job, I get paid every week, which is very oh, different that's, than that's what nice. I'm used to. I fucking hate, I hated getting paid bi-weekly. Oh, that sucks so much ass. So, uh, the paycheck, weekly paycheck is not going to be as high, you know, as being paid bi-weekly, but, uh, it's, it's still, it's still nice. Uh, it's a nice change of pace and I'm liking my second job so far. Good, really good first impression. Uh, past couple, uh, shifts though, I haven't had as much luck signing people up for credit cards, but. Oh, they pushing that crap. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, that, you know. It is what it is. Uh, there's a gal who was there uh, at that store for 13 years, and or she's still no, she's still there, of course. And um, she died. She didn't get a sign up that day either. No, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is uh, what the hell. This is called uncovering unexplained mysteries, Mike. I thought you were going to take it into like she the went dark. missing. She went missing, and no, no. Uh, she went. Uh, that, that's what happens when you don't get enough sign ups. You Jody, go you go, Jody. Who's intrude on on you? On the on the people, <laughs> I just rewatched that uh, segment the other day. I was watching mm-hmm. it. You sent me a link to uh, and uh, that dude. You kids these days are fucking lucky. There is a wellspring of original Robert Stack unsolved mysteries everywhere now. You don't even have to subscribe to anything. You can just go on YouTube, and yeah. they have an official channel with full episodes i believe uh-huh. all, almost all the seasons are up there i don't think well yeah all the all the seasons from the amazon uh, streams yeah those are all on YouTube. well yeah i mean there's still the missing segments but i mean for, for yeah. the for anyone who's even remotely interested in unsolved mysteries you you have plenty to it's only the nerds like us that that are still like sniffing after those uh forbidden segments or the missing segments or whatever um yeah I thought of one the other day, actually, and right when I thought I'd seen like every segment, which I know I haven't, but um, it was one. Actually, it was um, the we would go under the category the unexplained. Um, oh. I remember seeing this when I was a kid. It was the this this father. It was like this father and son who would wake up with these mysterious, like almost like bite, not bite marks, almost like these, just these circular mounds on their neck. And it kind of had like a hole in the top of it and huh. almost looked like something was inserted or, did or, you find that one? No. And, and, and they, they couldn't explain it. And then they would, they started having these nightmares of these beings coming into their room and like, in, like putting something in their neck. Are you sure it's unsolved mysteries? Yeah. Yes, I am. Oh, Hmm. I'm pretty. I'm like ninety percent sure. I could, there's that ten percent. I could be wrong. Wouldn't that be crazy if it's a twist that it's like sightings or encounters? No, nah, it, it wasn't sightings. I feel like Robert Stack's voice was involved in this segment, but um, yeah, I, I that just came to me the other day. I was sometimes, like, sometimes your brain can like for for instance, like there's something that I thought for sure was one way, and then I saw it, and then I was like, oh no. Yeah, my mind, my mind is still literally blown that there was not a '90s movie where uh, Sinbad was a genie. 
<laughs> like I still cannot like rap. the Mandela effect. Yeah. yeah, man. Like that shit is like no, come on, like. But that that angry video game nerd episode where he thought it was called the Baron Steen Bears. Um, yeah. That that the did, Baron Stein, Stein, it's Baron Stein. Yeah, right. Is that what? It is? As a kid, we always called it the Baron Stein Bears. Like I, there was never any confusion. So when he was like going off about like I could have sworn it was the Baron Stein and blah blah blah, it's like, dude, tr- trust me, it was Baron Stein. Like I remember, we we I loved reading those books as a kid. My mom used to read them to me, and that's what we always called them because my mom could actually. Well, speaking of read. AVGN, like I, I, I'm still a fan of James, but like I think his content has started to go down downhill this year. Like uh, like the best episodes have just been kind of uh, there or above average, and the worst have been some of his worst ever. Yeah, like I I hated the Shrek episode. It was barely even a review. It was just some really lame attempt to try to be hip and to tie into the Shrek memes. Uh, and then the the other episode that he did that was just a Easter egg overload, which is a tribute to uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That one was pretty cringe. But yeah, anyway, um, this is a podcast about uncovering some mysteries of an unexplained nature. Um this first case we're going to talk about is uh, Nikki McCown, and this was um, a case that was suggested to us in yeah. the group. I think it w- was it Helen. Yeah, I believe it was Helen. Helen, our wonderful social media um, person, when it comes to Instagram and Twitter, and she just is on it every day and just constantly updating our stuff and keeping it active and. Uh, Big, huge thanks to her. You know, she doesn't even, uh, you know, ask for money or anything. Not like we would have any to give her, but uh, it's it's just super awesome that she's doing that. Um, so thank you, Helen. But yeah, she suggested this case, so of course we're going to do it. I'm surprised we haven't done it. I've seen this segment a million times, but I just, I don't know. A lot of times I just want to enjoy the show and I don't want to pull out my phone and write down the case even though i really need to do that because all my bottom of the barrel cases i'm i've burned through so i need to start doing that again whenever i watch the show so do i yeah because i mean i need to rewatch some more segment rewatch some more episodes yeah it's it's easiest when you watch like a full episode instead of just one individual segment because when you watch the full episode uh a segment will pop up that you wouldn't normally have gone out of your way to pick and it's like oh yeah yeah, this one like we should talk about this but nowadays like i'm just running into a lot of segments oh that's a good segment then i do some research and i'm like oh yeah we already talked about that i mean dude you figure (laughs) we're we're on episode like so we have 229 episodes in the can if Uh, each episode averaged three segments let me see. Three times. Two. Wasn't it like normally two? Well, we started start out, out with. We started out doing four, and then yeah, we went, right. Then we went down to Dang, three. I forgot how many freaking segments. We were yeah. So just for shits and giggles, let's say we average uh, three episodes per. Po- uh, that's six hundred and eighty-seven segments that we've technically talked about, which is more segments than exist on the fucking show. So I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> Let me try two. Two times 229, 458. That sounds a little bit more. Well, I mean, we've also done episodes that don't cover Unsolved Mysteries. Right. We've done probably a good 30 episodes that cover other things. So, 
Yeah. How many Unsolved Mysteries segments exist? Can you just give me a flat answer? I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> well, I'm seeing here. Well, they have 593 episodes. So, yeah, we haven't even touched all the segments. No, I mean, because we're not even counting the segments that we probably wouldn't ever cover, like the Lost Love segments or right, the Missing yeah. Airs. Or so let's say, let's just say on average... Each, those animal ones that you will never nope, talk about. Nope, because that means I have to watch the episode and I just... I, and then I have to talk... No, I'm not talking about the animal ones. I'm not even vegan, but like, I just, dude, animal abuse really, like, gotta... I, it's one thing to just like kind of like stick the electric prod in the cow's like face and it just dies instantly and we actually eat it for food and it sustains us and all that. Like I, I, I just I can reconcile that. But to like like just uh, abuse an animal just for the sake of abusing it, uh, that just does not fly with me. And I can't like I don't want to hear about it. Um, animals are just so fucking innocent, man. With people, it's like, mm-hmm. people are shitty, you know? So if someone gets murdered, it sucks. And, and you know, and it's it's unfortunate. You don't want to hear about it. But at the end of the day, it's like they, they are a human being. And they, they've probably did some shitty stuff in their life. And, you know, I'm not saying they deserve or anything, but it's I, I get, that's the only way that makes it easy for me to talk. Well, not easy, but it makes it to where I can talk about it because human tolerable. beings. Tolerable, that's a good word. It makes it tolerable for me to talk about that because humans are way less innocent than animals. Animals are like literally running off of instinct. They will never go out of their way to do you harm out of spite or anything like that. You know, they're just going off of their programming, which is not, you know, malevolent. Except I did read an article recently that said the octopuses will will go out of their way to just fuck with other sea creatures. Um <laughs> like they scientists were studying octopuses and they exhibited certain behaviors that literally had ser- seemed to serve no other purpose than to just antagonize um just being dicks yeah and that well, that was All the right. name of the article uh i think some like like octopuses are dicks or something like that <laughs> so aside That's from funny. octopuses all the other animals you know. Well, I mean, birds, there are some birds, like starlings, are, you know, they're mean, and they kick other birds out of their nests, so that's kind of fucked up. All right, and well, then, if a starling, if there's an episode where starlings uh, perish, then maybe I can talk about that. <laughs> and there's a cool uh, thing about crows, that they actually have a really good memory, so the, they'll re- they remember you. So, like, if you do abuse a crow or treat crow a crow like shit, the crow would remember that, and uh, there were cases of crows actually going out of their way to antagonize people who <laughs> were mean to them. That's hilarious. It's like a like this. It's like like a six foot five motherfucker walking up to you and just like like slapping you in the face. Like, what are you gonna do about it, huh? Oh, we gonna do about it? But it's like just a little crow, just like pecking <laughs> at you or some shit. You know, like come on, or, squawk, or just- retaliate. That's my crow voice. Or just deliberately uh, taking a massive uh, dump on your on your car. That's probably the most effective way for them to retaliate, because that that is that is some some kind of disgusting right there. Anyway, this is the case of Nikki McCown. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're in rare form here. With yeah, the, really. With the uh, off-topic nature of the podcast, right? 
So on July 22, 2001, 28-year-old Marilyn Nikki McCown of Richmond, Indiana, stormed into her mother's kitchen. She was upset over two creepy men who had harassed her at the who laundromat. Who were up to no good, according to Robert Stack's narration. <laughs> I love that. That's like classic, uh, like just like uh, Sherlock Holmes type shit. Um, so they were met harassing her at the laundromat, these two creepers. Nikki's mother... And because it's a, a, a Lifetime, I think. I think it was a Lifetime episode. Uh, and this would have been the same on network television. But, like, they they weren't, like, acting in the way where it, it would be, like, especially creepy. They were just annoying, you know? Like, at least to me. Like, they were just being obnoxious and, you know, a little little creepy. But not, like, to the point where they are, like, really, like, leering at her. Because they couldn't get they couldn't get away with that. So yeah, they're like, "Come on, come on, let me let me borrow this." Like grabbing for the detergent. Like I just want to borrow it. Like they, they it was more of like a playful flirtation than anything yeah. else. But yeah, anyway, uh, her mom said, "Quote: I laughed at first because she was such a pretty girl, and she was, by the way, she was pretty hot. Um, I just thought that some man was making a play. I said, Nikki, just calm down because she was really upset, and." Um, Nikki may have been upset, but police believe she returned to the laundromat anyway. No one knows for sure, because on that day, Nikki disappeared. Police had trouble believing that Nikki would take off when her wedding was just three weeks away. They suspected foul play, but without a body and no apparent motive, they had nothing to go on. The day she disappeared, Nikki set off to do the laundry, while her fiancé, Bobby Webster, met his best man to be fitted for their tuxedos. Michelle McCown Luster is Nikki's sister. She spent so much money on this wedding. She wanted it to be the perfect wedding. She wanted her face to be perfect, her hair to be perfect, her body to be perfect. But Nikki's wedding was not to be. Police believed that if Nikki returned to the laundromat, she may have been confronted, if not abducted, by the two strangers. On Monday, July 23rd, the day after Nikki's disappearance, Bobby Webster contacted Richmond police to report his fiancée was missing. Filling out all the information on that missing persons report was very difficult. You never really think in your wildest imagination you'll be in such a situation until it really happens. It was very confusing. Shortly after Nikki disappeared, Bobby began acting very strangely. Instead of postponing the wedding, he canceled it entirely, demanding a full refund from the reception hall. <laughs> now, now, the reenactment here with the actors playing Bobby is a little bit of uh, gold. Yeah. Because of just it, it's the... Typical uh, Unsolved Mysteries... Uh, Fake dialogue for people who yeah. wouldn't really talk that way. I mean, yeah. these guys were talking like they were in a like 18th century court. It's like, sir, I have expressly read the agreement, and it says I demand a full refund. And the guy, I know my policy. You don't have to quote that to me. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's, yeah, that's how people talk. But, um, so yeah, uh, he, uh, he canceled the wedding entirely instead of postponing it, demanding a full refund from the reception hall. <laughs> Good luck with that, buddy. That, that, uh, <laughs> those reception, uh, venues, being a wedding DJ myself, um, you, that's, that's a set in stone thing. You sign, usually you sign a contract and, um, I mean, actually every time you sign a contract and really the only way that you can get out of that is like, some craziness like a hurricane 
is is barreling towards uh-huh. you on that day or the bride is absolutely found dead and you can provide a death certificate but anything outside of that they ain't giving you that that money back it's the same with uh, a lot of wedding djs i will refund somebody because i just feel like it's the right thing to do um but a lot of actual wedding companies like the one of the ones i work for they they, they don't do that so anyway that's just a that's just an interesting aside Next, Bobby tried to return his wedding band for cash, but the manager refused, and that was the whole exchange we were just talking about. Nikki had paid for the ring, and her name was on the receipt. Allegedly, the argument nearly turned violent, and Bobby had to be escorted from the store. Bobby says the reason for his... I didn't see it turn violent at all, like, <laughs> in the reenactment. It was just like, it was they the, were kind of... It was the elevated voice. It was the, I expressly yeah. read in your agreement. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me what's in my agreement. I know what's in my agreement. Is it just me, or did the guy who played Bobby remind you of Alfonso Ribeiro? Kinda, from, uh, yeah. Fresh, Fresh Prince. Prince. <laughs> Bobby says the reason for his behavior was that he needed the money to help pay for Nikki's search. I was to the point where it was like, this wedding doesn't matter. Nikki's well-being is what matters right now. Which makes sense, I guess. Might have yeah. been a little too hasty, but... yeah. You know, I'm not passing judgment yet because I think we know how this ends. But detectives weren't convinced. They asked Bobby to take a polygraph. At first, he refused, but later he agreed. According to Richmond, Indiana, Police Sergeant Bradley Burner, one of the questions that we asked to Mr. Webster was, did you have anything to do with the disappearance of Nikki McCown? He says no. And the needle about jumped off the chart. So not only did he fail, he failed miserably. That doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean shit. (laughs) <laughs> exactly, because we know for a fact that polygraph tests are not reliable. So, And they're not admissible as evidence in court. No. Bobby denies that he failed the test. He claims neither he nor his lawyer ever saw the results. That is a little suspect that, like, I, I didn't fail it and I've never seen the results. Like, really? I, uh... I've I'm seen not going to say it's enough for me to think that he's the prime suspect, but... You know, well, it's I've a seen sus. I've seen enough uh, cases where the police really need this case to be solved, and they really need you to be the guilty one so they can close uh-huh. the case. And the person is falsely imprisoned. Seen that a lot. Uh, I've been watching ABC's 2020, and good lord, the amount of times that that's happened. I mean, fucking making a murderer dude um, forget his name. He's still he's still behind bars, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I highly doubt he uh, committed the crime that he. Was there weren't of. that many people that were released uh, on final appeal uh, on on this uh, show either. Right. So Nikki was gone for three months before detectives got their first break in the case. On November fifth, two thousand and one, her SUV was found at a large apartment complex in Dayton, Ohio, forty five minutes east of her home in Indiana. Police believed it had been there for weeks. The door was locked, the, the door lock was punched out, the ignition had been hot-wired, and the stereo was missing. Michelle had hopes that the car would lead to her sister. Those are it some bad like signs. seems like that stuff happened afterwards. That's what, that sounds like stuff that happened after the car was abandoned, and then a bunch of uh, robbers, they came in and stole the radio and did all that. We kept being told by police, we've got to locate this truck. It's a big piece of the puzzle, and when they located it, it was a little relief that now they can find Nikki. Sergeant Burner believed 
an important clue was left in Nikki's SUV. Her neatly folded laundry. The clothes looked like they had come just from the laundromat. They were neatly folded and did not have the appearance that someone had gone through any of the items. If Nikki had been abducted from the laundromat, what would her clothes be neatly folded in the backseat of her SUV? And who drove her car from Richmond to Dayton? Then police were surprised to discover that Nikki had an ex-boyfriend who lived in the same apartment complex where her SUV was found. But after further investigation, he passed a lie detector test and had a solid alibi. It was another dead end. However, police later discovered that Nikki made a phone call to a co-worker who lived about a mile from where her SUV was found in Dayton. They talked about beauty products, and the friend told Nikki she could purchase the items she was uh, looking for in Dayton. Police began to wonder if something had happened to Nikki in Richmond, Indiana. Uh, in Richmond, Indiana... In, oh my God, that sentence. Police began to wonder if something had happened to Nikki in Richmond, Indiana, in Ohio, or somewhere in between. You gave me like three <laughs> fucking... You gave me two, uh, you gave me a city uh, in, in, in two states, and it was confusing for my brain. Police believed her SUV might have been left in Ohio to distract attention, attention from Richmond. That theory led police back to Bobby Webster, the fiancé, and his strange behavior after Nikki disappeared. Nikki's sister, Tammy Hughes, has trouble believing Bobby had anything to do with Nikki's disappearance. I love Bobby to death, and there's no way he could have done this. He'd have to be the devil himself to be able to walk around here and still see us face to face. I mean, everybody has their limits. Nikki's mother, however, isn't so sure. As a wise old woman told me, keep your friends close and keep your enemies even closer. So I stuck with him like glue because I figured if Bobby did do this, or if he knew anybody did do it, he would come to me. Police continue to follow up on possible leads while keeping a close eye on Bobby Webster. So this case is apparently still unsolved. Uh, following Nikki's disappearance, police identified her form- former co-worker, Tommy Swint, as a suspect in her case. He was from Trotwood, Ohio, and worked as a corrections officer and security guard. He later became a police officer but was forced to resign after he failed to inform them that he was a suspect in her disappearance. He filed a lawsuit against the police department, claiming that he was never told that he was a suspect. However, it was dismissed when the police department brought out proof that he was informed that he was a suspect. In November 2007, as a result of media coverage about the lawsuit, an informant contacted the police. The informant told them to investigate Swint as a possible suspect in the murder of 33-year-old Tina Ivory. She was a prostitute from Dayton who was murdered on December 17, 1991. When police interviewed a former girlfriend of Swint's, she stated that he had previously dated Tina. She also said that a blanket Tina was found wrapped in was similar to the one he had carried in his car. Her nephew later told police that he remembered seeing a blood trail from her basement window to Swint's car. In 2008, Nikki's sister publicly revealed that Nikki was having a relationship with Swint before she vanished. Oh, interesting. If that's the case, like, what the hell? Like, you're about to get married and you're like, (laughs) you're, you're going with another guy on the side? Damn. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that shit happens. I definitely don't think Bobby Webster was uh, involved, though. No. They had met while working at the same corrections facility. On the day of her disappearance, she tried to contact her sister multiple times. Her sister believes that she was trying to talk to her about the affair. Swint had been considered a suspect since shortly after she vanished. 
Her car was found at the apartment complex where he lived. So he was considered a suspect, but that was never mentioned on the show. That's another instance of uh, of painting things in a more positive light instead of like airing out the dirty laundry or showing things uh, as they actually are. Like you, you don't even you didn't even know anything about that if you just uh, watched that segment, right? That she was cheating on her uh, fiance. What is it, fiance? Yeah. They may not have had uh, that information at at that time. Well, it said shortly after she vanished. Oh, okay. She was considered a suspect by the police. In May of 2008, DNA from semen and blood found on Tina was matched to Swint. A fingerprint on tape uh, wrapped around her body also matched to him. On February 3rd, 2010, he was indicted for her murder. However, that same day, he committed suicide in his Alabama home. Police now consider him the prime suspect in Nikki's disappearance. They also considered him a suspect in other murders. However, since he is now dead, no charges can be filed. The police have also noted that he had another girlfriend at the time of Nikki's disappearance. They believe that she has important information about the case. However, she has been reluctant to speak with police. Remains speculated to be Nikki's were found near Spencer, Indiana in November of 2003, but DNA tests were inconclusive. She is still officially listed as missing. So... Seems like Tommy Swint is uh, the killer. Pretty yeah. cut and dry, if you ask yeah. me. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So there, there is technically an, uh, a significant update here. It just There's no real justice, though. This makes it a little bittersweet. Also, they still haven't found the body, so the the family hasn't been able to bury her. Yeah, that that sucks. That's uh, that 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 might be one of those cases where twenty years from now they uh you know finally figure it out like they did with the uh, the case here in Jacksonville. Forget the, the woman's name, but they finally mm. found her bones under this fucking cement uh, back porch area. Yeah, And she was, like, labeled as missing for the longest time. All right, guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I did want to give you a little little 50-second trailer of my band's music, Dance With Ghosts, a little clip show, if you will, of what we sound like. And if you like what you hear, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere that you stream music. Thanks. case is apparently a milestone. It was the first case that was ever solved on Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, nice. This is the case of John Burns. This is apparently a Patreon request. Do you know who requested it? I don't. 
I don't remember. Uh, I, I I upload the podcast early on Patreon, and then I just kind of uh, I get kind of behind on reading the messages sometimes or the comments. Um, but hey, it made it to the actual podcast, so it worked. Whoever requested, and it. I I think it's a good uh, pick as well. So this is uh, a case from the second Unsolved Mysteries special. Uh, before Robert Stack came in and was the host, there were two other hosts. There was uh, Raymond Burr and there was uh, Carl Malden. Yeah, this particular uh, special was car- hosted by Carl Malden. And... Um, yeah, I gotta say, you know, all the parts were there to to make the classic unsolved mysteries that we all know and love, and um, I mean, I I really I want to go back and watch I because I've never seen the these specials to be honest with you. I loved the cinematic quality of when they yes. when they interviewed people. It was like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it, the graininess was there. It's like these were just your average Joes, but like it was filmed so well that it looked like a, an actual like movie, uh, product, yeah. like like cinematic quality. Um, and the reenactments were also pretty top notch. Yeah, in terms the of the way they were shot. Yeah, they looked, they looked great. They, I mean, it it fit the landscape and the the atmosphere. It didn't. It it felt like you were watching it actually go down right in front of your. You forget. That's what was great when Unsolved Mysteries struck that balance perfectly. You your mind forgot that you were watching a reenactment. You thought yeah. you were watching a replay of what actually happened, and that's when they got it right. Now, later on in the show, in like you know the the life the uh, lifetime and the what CBS years or whatever, yeah. uh, the, yeah. the the quality just got really poor. And well, the also uh, the music silly. also took a step down in quality as well later yeah. on, and the and the music was at the start of the series was really integral to uh, the mood and the atmosphere to 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 really. Uh, nail the mysterious nature of these cases and uh this uh case is no exception i do Uh, also i do i think this is a really good case no yeah for sure i also see why they ultimately chose you know they were kind of experimenting with different hosts um carl malden he what i the the pros of him or the positives of him i will say is he delivered the case more like a, a hardened police detective who was like just yeah. giving you the facts of the situation. Yeah. Um, but I will say he didn't bring any creepiness to it. He no. didn't. He didn't have that. He didn't play into the theatrical. He didn't have the same gravitas as uh, Robert Stack. Right. He didn't. He he didn't play into the theatrical side of unsolved mysteries. The spooky. The we're scaring you on purpose kind of. Or the tongue in cheek. Right, or the or the tongue it. in cheek. He was just very matter of fact, uh, you know, hardened police guy, you know, giving you the facts. And the cases were so good that was fine. But I could definitely see why when they did actually secure Robert Stack, it was like when chocolate meets peanut butter. It was like, okay, this this is the ma- and not to mention Robert Stack's way easier on the eyes than Carl Malden was. That dude, his nose was the size of a bell pepper. Um, and he was he looked significantly older at the time than Robert Stack when Robert was first starting uh the show. So uh that was probably definitely in the He the, didn't have the same star power. 
Well, not only that, but like I think that was definitely in the notes too. You know, like the dashing older gentleman Robert Stack. You know, who has the creepy yeah. baritone and and all that. You know, was more, uh, you know, more fit for the the part. But yeah, I because I, I don't think Unsolved Mysteries would have been as successful as it was without Robert Stack. You know, it's a it. He's the the main component. I mean, there's all these other really good things about it, like the music and the atmosphere and the mood and the cinematography and so on. But Robert Stack, he was the linchpin. Like, he was the the engine. He was the guy who made it run. Yeah, he he was. And the body of the car and all the other parts were, like, the music and the, the cinematography and um, and just the case itself, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean... Even Robert Stack couldn't save some of the cases. Oh, yeah. No, he, he couldn't he, save aphrodisiacs. He couldn't <laughs> save Mystery Rock. Uh, he just couldn't. You know, it was a horrible case. Awful, stupid, stupid case. Although I still have fun watching that segment because I think Robert Stack even knew it was bullshit. Like, you could, you could kind of tell. Yeah, I loved his cheeky little grins he would do when he was talking about a case. And it was just his way of being like... This is such bullshit. <laughs> but then, you know, when he's talking about like a rape or a murder, he's like deadly serious, you know? Yeah. So it's like you can tell when he's like, and it's not, I don't and There get, isn't really that much of a, a shift in personality or there isn't really a lot of uh, variety uh, when it comes to the levels of charisma with Carl uh, Malden or, or Raymond Burr. Yeah. I mean, one could say that they weren't given long enough to develop, but no. I mean, kind of Robert Stack. I would say out of the two that I've seen, I prefer Car- Carl Malden over Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr was like the, the the uncle, like like the older uncle figure who was like like the regal uh, baron who who invites you into his library to read you a story. You know, like yeah, children, come in here. I'm going to tell you about a murder that took place. Ten years ago, in this very city, um, but I don't know. Kind of out of the gate, Robert Stack came out swinging, and, and oh yeah, you know there was sure. the, you know he was already great from the first episode. So, so uh, getting to the case, this is the case of John Burns. Uh, John Burns moved to South Lyon, Michigan, in 1947. As he became acquainted with the people in town, he revealed little about his past. His neighbors recalled that he was careful with what he said and did not want to talk about his life before moving there. Uh, that is re- that really suspect. Like, that is definitely a red flag. <laughs> Sounds like a guy who's definitely hiding something. A year after moving there, he fell in love and married Anna McMurray, despite the fact that she was about 20 years older than he was. In 1969, after about 20 years of marriage, Burns fell in love with someone else. A 45-year-old mother of six named Eleanor Farver. Eleanor lived in Washtenaw County. She had no idea that he was already married. Uh, Spicy. Her family recalled that he was very nice to her at first. Uh, He helped her renovate her farmhouse and and, uh, bought several animals. Apparently, she was really into chickens. She was a lot like Gonzo in that regard, I guess. She loved her chickens. That is a that is an out there reference. What? Gonzo did, did, from if, the Muppets? Yeah. Did, right. You didn't know that he was like a huge fan of chickens? No, Mike, I did not know that Gonzo, that weird dick nose having blue bird <laughs> thing, was into chickens. Did not know that. 
I guess you haven't watched that many episodes of The Muppet Show, then. I did watch The Muppet Babies growing up. I watched that, too. It was all right. I loved it as a kid. I don't know if I could go back and watch it now. Their voices are pretty fucking annoying now. Yeah, they are, but I, I can still get a kick out of it for the for the writing it was a pretty clever show i liked the how they used like actual like old stock footage clips yeah. at the most random moments like that star was star wars they actually had star wars footage that's another reason why uh that show will never get an official release on home video or even streaming because of all these different licenses they have to get dude i remember anyway. one time uh ralph the dog piano guy he like opened it was like a horror episode or not horror but it was like a like a spooky episode. He like opened the door and they showed like a, a clip from the old Nosferatu movie. Yeah, and you actually yeah. saw like Nosferatu, uh-huh. and I, that was legitimately scary. I was like, yeah. I was like, what the fuck? This is a kids show. <laughs> this is scary as shit. So anyway, uh, Eleanor and uh, Burns uh, decided to get married, and uh, they were going to run a chicken ranch together. They even went to a doctor to get blood tests and planning to get a marriage license. Now, I, ha- I, I, I had to stop there, and I, I even made a note of that. Why About blood tests? Why do you have to get a blood test to get a marriage yeah. license? That must be some old, st- old-timey old thing. So I gotta need to make sure that you are clean. <laughs> Got I, no STDs. No, it might have been... <laughs> no uh, diseases. Okay, so... Um, or you're not related... <laughs> So now I'm reading this article here that said the law requiring a blood test was abolished October 1st, 1986. Um, Why did they require blood? Uh, It was in this culture of heightened awareness and misinformation that states began to pass laws requiring couples to submit blood tests before applying for marriage licenses so they could avoid spreading a previously undetected venereal disease to their spouse Uh, uh, and children. STDs! That's so weird. Yeah. So one day in April of 1970, Burns stopped at his home with Eleanor in the car. Uh, When they saw Anna outside, he told Eleanor that she was his aunt and was hard to get along with. Because she was older, she believed him. A few weeks later, however, Eleanor decided to visit Burns at his home. She talked to Anna and asked if she was his aunt. She laughed and actually revealed that she was his wife. Uh, that was a pretty big bombshell. <laughs> Eleanor was distraught and left, saying that she never wanted to see him again. A few nights later, he went to her house and pleaded for her to take him back. However, she still refused to see him. Uh, the actor who played John Burns in the reenactment did a fantastic job. Like this guy. Yeah, you thought he was. was you thought he was John Burns, this unhinged, yeah. slack-jawed yokel. Yeah, the whole scene where he's trying to get her back at late at night, like that was legitimately pretty. Oh yeah, um, that was great acting. I yeah, I intense. even I I uh, kind of bookmarked that in my mind as well. I was like, I'm like, wow, this 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 is like this is like a real like m- like movie. Like this isn't like mm-hmm. just some made for TV bullshit. Exactly. Uh, over the next few months, he harassed her. He wrote threatening letters to her and shoved them under her door. He also put sugar in her gas tank, tried to run her off the road, and threatened to blow up her house. This guy is down bad to the extreme. Uh, Then he showed up at a weapons store and bought shotgun shells. To kill a German Uh, shepherd, supposedly, which is a dick move if that's what he was trying. mm -hmm. Even if he was just doing that, like, you're an asshole. 
Yeah, he's trying to kill dogs that were bothering him. On September 22nd, 1970, he went to Eleanor's house and found a car there that he did not recognize. The car belonged to her cousin, but he assumed that it had belonged to her uh, a new lover. Uh, he went up to her front door and shot her with his shotgun. Uh, and the way that this reenactment uh, was shot was very chilling. I thought the use of slow motion, the sound design, like everything was just really uh, top of the line, solid stuff. Her daughter-in-law, granddaughter, and nephew also witnessed the shooting. After the murder, Burns disappeared. However, he was seen in South Lyon on three separate occasions. Two days after the murder, he left his car at a neighbor's garage. He visited Anna's house at least twice. During one visit, he hid in the basement and wrote letters to her. Police later discovered that he had spent 10 days hiding in a barn just 100 yards from the murder scene. Crazy. That's nuts. They suspect that he was there before the murder as well. Just hiding, just waiting. That's, what, that's what you call to... obsessed. Yes. This is a very um, predominantly male trait when it comes to failed romances. This obsessive controlling uh, aspect where... Not saying that women don't do it, because, you know, they they do, but not on the level of what we've seen on this show and, and on if other... If I can't have her, yeah, and nobody of can. Uh, of course, they've got to get fucking violent, because, again, they're, they're men. Yeah. Um, women are just going to try to fuck you over in other ways, like slander you and, and psychologically fuck with your head, but they're or, not going to, they're or, not going to show or make up accusations about uh, sexual assault, which yeah, is really yeah, fucked up. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. They're going to, they'll ruin you like socially. They'll take all your social currency away, but they're not going to physically like take it your depends. life. It depends on the woman. I, I can almost, I can almost guarantee you statistically there's probably like a, 0.5% of women out there who have who have actually like you know their man left them so they went and like shot the guy but if you look at the statistics for men doing that it's probably like off the fucking charts and I don't know for sure I don't have the statistics to look at so I'm not gonna Mike don't say... pull it don't pull an SJW move on me here buddy you know it's true <laughs> you know it's true well I I mean I do think that it's it's uh, more than likely that's the case. I just don't have the specific statistics on hand. Mike, since when have we made any statement that was backed by actual statistics and facts? Isn't that why Eggman <laughs> loves our podcast so much? I think I think we did that a few times like when we did a lot of research. Like well, I, I mean, think. I just I just looked up the whole blood test for marriage thing, so I mean, that yeah. was technically research, right? I mean, yeah. So see, sometimes we do that. But yeah, no. I, I, the reason why I bring all, all that shit up is it pisses me off so bad that that's a character trait in in our, our gender. You know, like I obviously would never do that. I've never done that. Uh, I've had situations where uh, someone broke up with me and they got with another guy. And um, yeah, I was hurt and I was not happy about it. Um, but it's kind of like, okay, here's the thing. These guys who, like, murder or harass the woman who um, has left them for someone else, or even if not someone else, like, they just left them in general just because they want to be with them, by, by the man harassing them and threatening them, 
what in the guy's mind psychologically like how do they justify like this will get her back this will make her want me back more threatening her and running her off the road and sending her all these threatening messages that'll make her come back to me like you got to use psychology man you you, you got to act- I don't I don't think that they always think that 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 is going to work I, I think this is one of those ways where they are trying to punish uh uh their former lover uh for well, yeah uh, i think in, i think in this or, case or letting them go i think in this case that definitely was what happened because they he they when the police found his little hidden den in his uh, up in the loft of the barn he had scrawled on on one of the boards like kind of his what, yeah. like his confession and in one of the lines which is said, creepy as hell yeah i mean but then again it seems kind of like given this guy's personality it seems kind of fitting that he might do something it like does that. but i mean it's still one of those things where you know it's taking obsession to another level but he even said like one of the lines was i was being made a fool of so i think yeah mm-hmm. i think this was kind of like a punitive type attack like this is what you get for um, this is what you get for for not being cool with me being married while while I'm I'm dating you, you bitch. <laughs> yeah, this guy was just like it. the worst person ever. Yeah. Like, and and what and what was his fascination with the chick that was twenty years older than him? Like, what did he want to have like the milf and the the no, young? Piece I, I of think tail? he did that so he had a place to stay. And uh, he he had another way to kind of try to cover up the the secrets that he was hiding. The philandering. Because I, I do well, not just that. I don't think he is John Burns. No. Because like what they say later on. I mean, he he told he a lot people. To hide. I mean, where where he was originally from, it depended on who you talked to. I mean, he told people yeah. like three or four different. And they even said like there were only two photos of him. Yeah, that was so fucking like. Yeah. Talk about, I mean, granted, back in the 70s, it was a lot easier to get by without having much pictures of yourself, especially in the cell phone-centric camera phone world we live in. But this dude literally only allowed two pictures to be taken of him in his entire life. Like, imagine that. If it weren't for those two pictures, no one would know what this guy even looked like. Because, yep. you know, like, presidents from, like, a long time ago, or, or, or figures from a long time there's ago. There's portraits. There's portraits. So you, you get an idea of, you know, but, like, just think about, like, if no one ever took a picture of you, and, well, nowadays, it just, it just wouldn't work, because there's, cl- like, closed-circuit cameras everywhere, and, you know, so nowadays it's impossible. But, you know, back at that time, like, I, I guess in theory it would be possible to live your whole life and die and never have one single image of you exist that even shows that you were ever yeah. here on earth. But even with those portraits, those aren't always accurate. Right. Like a lot of them are they very made them exaggerated. Look, they made them look skinnier or more buxom or whatever. So, uh, he wrote his confession to the murder on a wooden plank in the barn. Since his disappearance, police have found no records of John Burns Military records, birth and marriage certificates, dental records, and death certificates have all been searched, but to no avail. The Bureau of Vital Statistics has no record of John Burns matching his description. They only have two photographs of him, including the one that's shown uh, above with him and Eleanor Farver, uh, where he's hanging out 
with her and a what looks like a miniature horse. It's like it's a pony. Pony. Uh, and they believe that he was most likely on the run from something else prior to his arrival in South Lyon. Police discovered that Burns had worked as a janitor for the local high school. Interestingly, they discovered that he called in sick every day that pictures were taken for the yearbook. That's... Man, the level of dedication. They don't exactly include a picture of the fucking janitor in your high school yearbook. Maybe they do. Like, like I don't he, know. He, like, Maybe uh, back then they did. Well, actually, now that I think about it, under they, they did have uh, the teachers. Did faculty. Have faculty, but yeah. not the janitor. I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe, maybe they did have the janitor back then. I mean, they did fucking blood tests for marriages, so it was a brave new world. Police hoped to find Burns and determine his true identity. There were unsubstantiated rumors that Burns was killed by a relative of Eleanor's the man apparently confessed to several people that he had committed the crime but denied the allegation to police. They still believe that Burns is alive. Other than his photographs, police have few clues. Anna stated that her husband told her that he was from Altoona, Pennsylvania and had previously been married. However, on his marriage license, he listed his birthplace as Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, he also told people that he was from Colorado. He also has listed at least four different birth dates. Speaking of Cheyenne, I've, actually, I've been to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, uh, I think one of Troy's uh, relatives lived lives over th- lived over there. So uh, he also uh, listed four different birth dates, which is crazy. Burns's wife Anna moved away and lives in a convalescent home, refusing to speak about the case. Eleanor is buried several miles from the crime scene in an unmarked grave. Burns' true identity and whereabouts remain unknown and probably will forever remain unknown, except that he was captured because he was the first uh, fugitive that was arrested as a result of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, He was captured on May 30th, 1987. John Burns was arrested in Altoona, Pennsylvania. As a result of the broadcast, he had been on the run for 17 years. He was living in a remote cabin under the name Stephen Vance. Uh, apparently, he was soon identified as Wilford Paul Cashman, so that's his actual name. Uh, authorities learned that Cashman had escaped from the Pennsylvania State Penitentiary in 1947, where he was serving a 14-year sentence for assault and rape of a young girl. Oh, so we got a repeat offender here, basically. Yeah, so the guy uh, where you said like he's just a massive asshole, like he might be one of the biggest assholes that's ever been covered one of those guys uh, that probably should have stayed in jail you know yes surprisingly after the murder cashman returned to his hometown and moved in with his father after his father's death he moved into the cabin and maintained contact with several relatives including his children with his first wife however none of them knew that he was wanted for murder Cashman was convicted of Eleanor's murder on December 3rd of 1987. However, just before he was scheduled to be sentenced, he died of a heart attack on January 7th, 1988. He was 79 years old. So he was captured, but he never actually faced trial. So and then kind of escaped justice. And then Josh would be born later that year in 1988, and... Uh, 32 years later would talk about this motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know why I had to bring myself into that. Is that the narcissism that Eggman talks about regarding yeah, us? Probably is. Damn. <laughs> that sucks. 
Ah, uh, it's okay. It's it's our podcast, so there's always going to be a little bit of narcissism sprinkled. In I gotta there. include me. I've got to talk about me. So yeah, that's the case of John Burns. Yeah, like I said, I think it's. I think it was. I think it was a really good case. Um, even even though Stack wasn't hosting at the time, it was it was still worth watching. I'm gonna like I said, I'm gonna go back and watch. Um that whole uh-huh. special because uh i want to mention the the music yet again for this uh, segment because it was really good yeah even the first case uh starting off the special i was already intrigued but they did they did make a, a statement that uh i thought i'm like oh well they're already in the politically incorrect jail uh they said um she was a 26 year old girl and then they went on with what they're saying and i'm like ooh, that would not pass today's uh standards and practices she was a woman, sir. <laughs> anyway, that's like that's like saying a twenty six year old boy. Like what? What does he have? Some kind of develop yeah. like physically developmental thing. Anyway, Just Jack. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Moving on to uh, perks of being a Josh Flower. I swear I won't cry this time. Um, I think. I hope. Uh, this is a, I found my diaries I used to write in as a teenager slash early twenty something, and um, I've been reading them on here for your enjoyment or your. Uh, you know, you're you can relate. Maybe you can relate to what I was going through. I had some big OCD one last week that brought back a memory that I did. Oh no, it wasn't last week. It was the week before. Brought back a memory I didn't want to particularly live through, but I did. So we're resuming um, Friday, January eleventh, two thousand and eight. Well, Fidelity Crisis broke up Tuesday. That was the second band I was ever in. They were actually really good too. Um, I was I was sad that that band had broken up, but anyway, that's a little footnote. Fidelity Crisis broke up Tuesday. Apparently, the guys feel compelled to go to Texas and play because the music scene here is supposedly, quote-unquote, dead. Whatever. Centenic got some good damn shows. I guess it's all who you know, though. Tonight, I had a dinner with this girl from my speech class named Julie. I remember her. Uh, I had to do it for an assignment. She is pretty interesting, but very messed up. She was heavily into drugs and all that. I think I'm tired of girls who have done that stuff. Well, actually, I know I am tired of girls who are into that. My stress has gotten so bad that I'm back on Paxil. A lot of people I talk to now... Oh, fuck. I think I used to take that at one time oh, yeah. in my life. A lot of people I talk to now say that it makes you a quote-unquote zombie. Even that girl Julie tonight said that. That kind of disturbs me. I don't want to be a numb, unfeeling zombie, but I mean, I've always kind of been numb to things, so I don't know. But I mean... If they will get rid of these damn panic attacks, and I guess I will be a zombie for a little while. Me and Caroline are still going strong. Not too, too many arguments lately, but then that's good. Work is still pretty much miserable for me. My mind wanders too much, and I start hearing shit. College is going okay so far. I think I need to take Sunday off to get some assignments done. Now I feel numb because I was thinking about what that girl said about the Paxel, so my self-fulfilling prophecy is going to make me feel... Like, I'm going to start acting numb and zombie-ish. That's a cool word to type, zombie. Okay, but anyway, I guess I'll go. Just a short update for now. So, yeah. um, Yeah, I remember all that. I remember that. That Julie chick was fucking hot. If I, wasn't, if I hadn't been with Caroline at the time, I totally would have hit on Julie. But, yeah, I think she was kind of fucked up in, uh, in the head a bit. She had definitely had some va- baggage. But, yeah, I... I after the last post I read you two weeks ago, uh, it, it shit had gotten so bad that I needed I needed some help uh, in the form of medication, and that shit did help. 
um, from my recollections. Let me see here. Um, so this is a really short one. Uh, April 6, 2008. A lot of shit has happened. I'm still dating Caroline. I'm phasing myself off of the Paxil. I'm tired of the sexual side effects and not being able to drink. Things have gotten better. Patrick might be getting signed. Still in college, having sex and a lot, uh, having sex a lot and eating. So I finally started getting laid because I had a consistent girlfriend at the time. So I guess I was happy about that. She was she was fucking sexy, man. Back in the day, I still wish her and I could be friends, but she's got this husband now, and that's you know, yeah. Kind of forbidden. Sadly, that's kind of how how it is with like exes and stuff like that. When they move on, they're like, "No, it's because we were so close, man." And I know if I know if I talked to her today, we would just pick right up where we left off, and it would be like nothing ever changed. Um, but yeah, she's got two kids and a husband, and she doesn't. According to her, she she's not even really in love with the guy. She's just she's just staying with them until the kids get old enough for her. To, That's um, gotta suck. I know, right? I'm like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck, man? Like, why would you do something like that? I think she was saying she did it because uh, her mom had uh, been diagnosed with a terminal uh, with cancer and was dying, and she was really close with her mom, and she just felt like her life was just falling to pieces around her. So I think uh, it was just kind of a... I need something stable in my life because my life is spinning out of control. So I think that's I think that's the reason why she married the guy, and she I guess she always wanted kids and a family. So I think it was more of a a, a marriage of convenience more than a marriage of like mm-hmm. passion. All right, one last update, and we'll shut this shit down on these clowns. Can I get a witness? Hell yeah! All right, this is from. Man, these things in this, they jump around. Now we're Thursday, January 22nd, 2009. I know I updated more in 2008, but oh well, it's just jumping around. And this might not even be the right date. Uh, I titled this Twinks, Twats, and I'm Tired. That's the title of this entry. Uh, <laughs> okay. I really think I'm getting tired of going out with Caroline and having a girlfriend, period. We've been through so much together. And you know, half of those times, the idea of breaking up got brought up, and I had always wished it had happened in the back of my mind, but I don't have the balls to actually do it. I don't want a girlfriend anymore! Exclamation wow. points. And that, there- That's definitely quite the shift compared to, you know, what was going on before. Well, I think I was like lying to myself before and being like, things are going strong, things are going fine. But dude, we'd argue like every fucking day. Every time I went over, I went to her house once a week and we talked on the phone every night. And when I would come over to her house, we would usually get into an argument about something or we'd get into an argument on the phone because she was super jealous and controlling and she was had her foot planted right in her conservative beliefs. And I was starting to open my mind and experiment with different ideas. And maybe gay marriage isn't such a bad thing. And maybe it's okay to be, you know, a lesbian. Or maybe this is fine. And, and you know, maybe abortion is uh, should be up to sh- the woman and not be regulated by the government, you know. And, and she was just, like, totally not having any of that. So we'd get into fights a lot. So anyway, I'm going on about talking about how I don't want a girlfriend anymore. And there is this stupid fucking list that she has made. It's a list of the people that I'm not allowed to talk to. I'm going to read that again. She made a list of people that I was not allowed to talk to, Mike. 
That's nuts. That's crazy. It had me speechless there for a second. That's why. And the people on this list, I'm not saying their last names, um, but uh, the list consists of Casey. I think we all know who Casey is, if you've been mm-hmm. keeping up with the Josh Flower Diaries. Vera, the Russian chick I was infatuated with. Uh, another Casey, whose last name I do provide on here, she was uh, the teacher's assistant in my high school history class, and man, she mm. had some huge tits, and she was fucking hot. And I, I was ballsy because I was only eighteen at the time, and she had to have been in her early, uh, like mid twenties because she was a teacher's assistant. And I asked her out on a date to Taco Bell. She was married, and she went, and we even went to the mall together. Anyway, moving on. Nikki, my very first girlfriend that I lost my virginity to. Stephanie, my old friend that you all know about from my journal entries on here. And Monique, which was Stephanie's friend. So that's the list of girls I'm not allowed to talk to. I'm fucking sick of that stupid list! I want to talk to all of those people again. (laughs) Well, except Nikki. But I would like to ask her how her baby is and all that. But damn! And Brian just came out to me the other day. And that is really fucking weird. But I'm kind of getting used to it. I mean, in my sheltered world, I would have never thought in my wildest dreams that I would have a best friend who was gay. But whatever, as long as he never tries anything on me, um, me and Brian are supposed to go over to Caroline's house today because her parents are out of town, and we're going to drink a little. I don't really want to go. I'd rather just hang out here with Brian and play rock band and just drink here, but the queen must have her way. Caroline, not Brian, I put in parentheses. Oh, look at me. I'm already making cheeky gay jokes. On another note, I'm in a cover band with Corey, Phil, and Josh Smith. It's going well. We've already learned a dickload of songs, but we've only... Uh, but we. Man, that's a term I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> yeah, I know. But we only have to learn about eight more, and then we will be good to play a show. I never thought we'd reach that number. I, we, we ended up learning like 40 or 50 cover songs. Uh, but we have. It's fun, but I don't think I'm doing the songs good enough. Some of them are a little half-assed, but I mean, they're still good, uh, though, so whatever. Not everyone in the audience is going to be musicians, so whatever. I still want to do a band with original material, though, damn it. My time is running out. I need to make it in a band, damn it. I don't know what I like, but I don't know what I I like damn it so much oh wait that's a fucked up sentence that i'm just going to abandon but anyway i gotta take a shit so i'm out man i haven't updated this stupid thing in a long time hope people still read it but no one uses zanga anymore because it's pretty retarded and why use zanga when you could just use myspace or why even use myspace when everyone has facebook which i'm actually thinking about getting who knows Alrighty, see you later pieces of shit all right, so first of all, I, I denounced my use of the term retard. Uh, like I said, that's how I talked back then. So or twink. Twink is not a. Uh, that's not a offensive uh, term. It's not. The, no, twink describes a type of gay guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're they're um, you you know usually very boyish and and you know more on the. I've fl- heard it be. I've heard it used in in you know kind of a derogatory fashion to my knowledge and i dj'd at a gay bar for five years that is a common term that describes a a type of because you have bears you have otters you have uh like uh puppies 
you have daddies, you have bull. I did not know there was that many. <laughs> you have twinks, you got, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of classifications of uh, types of, uh, of, of like, you know, subgenres in the gay community. Um, you, you can so, usually tell, like, what, what uh-huh. the type of person is before talking to them. Um, obviously not top or bottom, you, you well, I have some time. Anyway, not going a little too far there, but, uh, <laughs> what? but yeah, like usually, you know, bears will dress a certain way and, uh-huh. uh, you know, daddies will, will they're older. And, uh, then you got uh-huh. the, you know, the otters, which are, uh, like younger, but they're still really hairy and like, you know, give off the, the, the masculine vibe. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's a whole subgenre. So anyone out um, there, if I'm wrong, speak- let me know. But uh, to my knowledge, speaking that's- of Brian, like, are you still? Uh, I was just trying to remember what's going on with thing about, Brian. Thing like, about are you Brian, still friends or yeah, because Brian was my friend who has Aspergers. Uh, who uh, that's how I became acquainted with that that uh, term and that mm-hmm. that um, uh, what is it? It's not a is it, it's not a mental illness. No, it's a, it, it it's not even it's not even really a thing anymore. Like they don't even really call it Aspergers anymore. Someone like literally just, just told me on Messenger. The, I'll read you the message. He literally just told me this like while I was on the podcast 15 minutes ago. So it's like funny that this gets brought up. He goes, um, "Haha, most people don't use the term Aspergers anymore because the origins of the term comes from a Nazi. We just refer to it as ASD, Autism Spectrum mm-hmm. Disorder." Yeah, it's autism. Yeah. Really? So that so it's just called autism. Spe- I mean, well, autism spectrum disorder. So AC, ASD, I guess it's it's a part of the spectrum. ACDC. <laughs> no, that'd be cool. But no, <laughs> it's not. I have a cool mental thing. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's the end of the podcast. Uh, if you want to join our Facebook fan page and see what Eggman looks like, uh, or have a healthy discussion about anything unsolved mysteries related. Then you can join our Facebook group by going to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, go to the group section. You're smart enough. I have faith that you'll find it. Um, But please don't uh, join the group and say that you listen to the podcast and the first thing you post is promoting another fucking podcast from somebody else. It's one thing to like promote another podcast if you've been in the group and you contribute to conversations and it's clear that you're just legitimately just wanting to let people know about um, a new podcast. But if that's like the first thing you post as soon as you join the group, it just looks spammy as hell. And I'm just going to delete the post and possibly kick you out because you're not going to spam someone else's podcast in a fucking group that's called uncovering unexplained mysteries podcast like fan page you know i mean come on people if you haven't been able to tell by my over explanation uh this has happened recently so that's why i keep expounding upon it or pontificating rather um you can join our patreon by going to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries uh for three dollars uh, a month you'll get the podcast early five dollars a month you'll get it early and you can suggest topics for our episode like today we covered the uh case of john burns that was a patreon request and um finally me and mike are on youtube uh, we've been mike's been doing it for like 42 years and i've been doing it for a while myself <laughs> it does kind of feel like that yeah sometimes. so uh you can find mike's videos he's a movie buff he talks mainly about movie related stuff cinema what have you 
It's uh, youtube.com slash OCP communications. YouTube.com slash OCP communications. Michael, what was the last video you did? So the last video I did is actually a review of this uh, generic, uh, pretty forgettable movie called Force of Nature with Mel Gibson from last year. Um, don't really have a whole lot to say about it. Mel Gibson <laughs> is like a of uh, insane. I know I'm not saying anything new with that statement, but like I listened to this audiobook of this director who worked uh-huh. with Mel Gibson because Mel Gibson had wanted him to direct this screenplay that Mel was writing. What director was it? I forget, but but Mel Gibson called it the Jewish Braveheart because it was going to be about this mm-hmm. old, like old timey, back in the olden days, like this Jewish uh, gladiator. Oh, yeah, and as the director spent more time with Mel Gibson, he started noticing like anti-Semitic remarks that Mel would make, and he would start yeah. like spouting off. Well, all this, this is probably around the time when he was uh, he was. He was in a bad place, apparently, in his life. I'm not saying that's an excuse for his anti-Semitic uh, mindset or his behavior, but uh, he was in a really bad place. He was going through, I think it was a divorce, and there was a lot of other stuff, and he kind of was having a bit of a mental breakdown and really getting uh, deep into the sauce, so to speak, in terms of uh, alcohol. And uh, nowadays... From what I've heard, like he's made a, a he's made a he's recovered and he's uh, apologized for his uh, anti-Semitic remarks and he's uh, from what I've heard from a lot of people that worked with him, he really doesn't have that mindset anymore. So the name of the director was Joe S. Esterhaus. Oh, Joe Esterhaus. Oh, yeah. that guy. He, he's a little. <laughs> I don't know if I trust him. Is <laughs> he's a little a, a bit of a controversial kind of guy who just make he's been known to kind of exaggerate things. Yeah, his book um, actually had some uh, one star uh, reviews uh, where people were kind of saying the same thing. So you might you might be right, but uh, man, according to this guy, like Mel was like. Some of the beliefs that he seemed to espouse are not things that you just get better from. It's like this is ingrained in his belief system. No, I mean you could like if you just realize at at, at a certain point that that's just not right. Maybe who knows? And then you and then you, you adjust your mindset because there have been people who were members of the KKK that adjusted their mindset. Uh, so it, it is possible. Um, from what I've been hearing, he does. For other people who worked with him, he hasn't really been like that. Uh, but anyway, Force of Nature was one of those movies that he wasn't even originally supposed to star in. Bruce Willis was supposed to do it, but then something happened and he didn't wasn't able to do it. So they had to get Mel Gibson as a replacement because it's one of those like direct to video, really cheap movies. Even though it says that it's a budget of twenty three million, which I could not believe at all. Uh, when I read it. Do you think that's but, where Mel Gibson is at in his career now? Like, doing, like, straight-to-video stuff? Yeah, that's what he's been doing a lot of. Like, he did... He played the bad guy in Expendables 3. Um, but, like, he's been doing a lot of direct-to-video stuff. It's just kind of how it is. He's kind of lost his cachet in Hollywood. Yeah, a little bit. But, so, I mean, some of the direct-to-video stuff's pretty good. Like, Bloodfather or Get the Gringo. Um, And I also... 
have uh, coming up on the pipeline uh, Die Hard reviews. I just recorded a, a new review of Die Hard today. What was the so What was the up life. with you um, posting every Batman movie poster and like commenting on the movie? Did that have anything to do with any upcoming uh, thing? Yeah, because those were. <laughs> Uh, the Dark Knight trilogy were what they were paid requests a while back, and I just decided to also revisit the other Batman films around the same time. So, right on. Those are coming up in the future as well. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I got going on on my channel. Head over to Mike's channel to catch that. Uh, my channel. I'm a music guy. I cover all things music. It is. Um youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts that is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts not only is that my band but it's also my youtube channel and i do a bunch of original content on there the last video that i did was i listed my top 10 favorite rush songs people had been bugging me to do this video for a long time and so i was like all right this should be easy um it was kind of hard only picking 10 you know, because Rush has like 30 fucking albums or something like that. Um, and I, I know I'm familiar with every single one of them. So it was hard to get just 10 of them. A top 20 probably would have been like better. It's like for me picking a favorite movie. Like, oh, what's your favorite movie? It's like, I don't have a favorite movie. <laughs> you know, that that's way too hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To, to, you know. Yeah, let's like who's your favorite band? I mean, dude, it's a. I mean, it's like it. It co there's a like a spectrum uh, where I ha like if we're leaning more towards like alternative rock, it's the Smashing Pumpkins. If we're leaning more towards prog rock, it's like Genesis or Rush, but probably more so Gen. I mean, it it, it depends. I mean, it really it's it's a stupid question, honestly. And it's not a stupid question, but for someone who's like obsessed with like one kind of art form it is kind of a silly question because it's, yeah, like, it's like what's your favorite horror film it's like i guess i could probably say it's creep show because i it, i have a lot of nostalgia for it and so on but there are a lot of other horror films that i also really really like and really enjoy so yeah it, it, it's one of those things where it's like it, it, it's not you kind of feel painted in a corner you know, when you're talking about what's your favorite, you know, your right. top 10, your top blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, now, if it's a top 10 and, and, and it's in no particular order, like like number one yes. doesn't mean there it's... There we the, go. Like, yes. that that's yeah. more manageable. Like, I could do that if it's in no particular order. Um, is that what your list is, in no particular order? No, I think this... No, mine is in order, actually. Yeah, because I absolutely because I do have a favorite rush, a number one favorite rush song of all time. I do, I, I can, I can honestly say there is one particular rush song that is my absolute favorite. And you're just gonna have to go over to my channel and watch the video to figure out what that song is. <laughs> Call that a teaser in this business, ladies and gents. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, uh, I think that's it, right? Um, yeah, pretty neat, nice and neat little hour 20 podcast. So uh, until next time, have a good rest of your night. Bye. See ya.
and then his Rex Viper shit, which is just to me, it's just fucking awful. Yeah, his his no. If you don't know who Angry Video Game Nerd is, this is this part of the conversation is gonna do absolutely nothing for you. But I, I most was, people are somewhat familiar yeah, of who he is. Hopefully, our audience are <laughs> if they're nerdy enough to care about Unsolved Mysteries, a show that hasn't been on the air in thirty years, then then they'll probably be hip to some nerd shit. But um yeah that like the angry video game nerds little side band rex viper that does these kind of mashups of video game songs with 80s songs like they've done two music videos so far i was even gonna do uh like a rant on my channel but when i went back and i watched the videos as cringy as they are i just can't help but to see a bunch of middle-aged dudes just having fun like yeah i know i get it but it's, it's not it's, good by any means and it's cringy as all hell but yeah. like for me to go in and make a rant video i i could just foresee yeah. the thumbs down and the hate comments a mile uh, away you know that that's just how it how it is when you're honest you know about things yeah uh, I, I think it would be a fun video but you know uh, it's your i'm still channel. i'm still on the fence about it um yeah i, I but might, it, I might it's also it. one of those things where it's just an acquired taste and it's not a t I, I like 80 songs and i like video game music but i don't I don't really like the mashups. I don't think they're well, really the, that great. The guys in the video, like, they're just so fucking cringy. Like, all the musicians yeah. and even James, uh, like, he, he really got that video game nerd character down to a T, but he cannot do rocker guy good. He, no. You know, he, like, no. <laughs> and, and, like, all the other guys are just... Just, just so the guy trying to be tryhard Kenny Loggins over here. It's no thanks. Yeah. Oh God. There's this one scene where the singer like really goes for some high note or something, and they does this like yeah afterward, and it's just so like ugh. This is so fucking cringy. It sounds like they might be doing that on purpose. Like it's supposed to be that like ironic bullshit right, that I'm, I'm which, sick of yeah. like oh you're supposed to enjoy it ironically right. you know it's so bad and, and if I see that, that fucking awesome. that tub of mashed potatoes and one more James yeah. Rolfe's videos I'm just gonna unsubscribe isn't his name Justin I don't fucking know but he <laughs> has just inserted himself into that channel yeah, he's fucking awful god like who cares about you nobody gives a <laughs> shit about your who are you dude you're fucking rando I Who hate gives that a fuck shit. about Justin Silverman. Like I think his name is Justin Silverman. Like you know how long it took uh, Mike Matei to become ingratiated yeah. by the. It took him like years of being in, and at least Mike Matei like looked right on screen. He didn't look like this fucking literally a, a vat of mashed potatoes. <laughs> like. I loved uh, Mike Matei as uh, Bugs Bunny. Like whenever he would like, yeah, just, that like, was hilarious. Yeah, he's like. You know, hey, motherfucker, what's up, Doc? You know, like, I, I thought that shit was hilarious, you know. But then apparently Mike Bate, like, he did some cringy shit, too. Like, he did this review yeah. of this uh, movie. Was it Elmo? Yeah, and it, it was it was the... I know I'm, I'm overusing the word cringe right now, but God, it, it was so cringe. It was like, just talk about try hard. Like, he was trying so hard to be funny. It was like Elmo and Grouchland, I think. It was just not funny at all. And then, like, he had some other controversy, I feel like, which is why yeah. he left. Um, I think I think what's going on with James right now is that he's in a midlife crisis. Instead of buying a sports car or a motorcycle, <laughs> he's doing Rex Viper, and he's doing these more experimental, angry video game nerd videos. Well... I did a video about this a long time ago, um, about like these content creators that couldn't make it like professionally in the field that they wanted to make it in. So 
they, you know, started doing stuff on YouTube like Doug Walker and all that and how yeah. it was cool at first because they, they finally got that taste of success that they had always wanted. But I mean, that- Doug Walker even had some epic I quit video that he did at his previous job before he yeah, did yeah. YouTube. Yeah, time. so like they get that taste of success that they wanted and they get a fan base. But then as you get older and, you know, you, you do all kind of like our podcast, you do all the ideas you really want to do at first. You're kind of painted into a corner to where it's like all people know you for is this one thing, and if you don't do that, they're not going to give a flying fuck. Yeah, and then, it's kind of like me and my channel with rants. Like that's really kind of how it is. So, well, at least you have something that you know works on your. I, I still to this, I have no idea what <laughs> fucking works on my channel. I know the tier, it's random. The, the tier it's, lists usually do better than my other ones, but uh, yeah, I have no fucking idea. I've tried. To do current things, and some of them do good, and then some of them do absolutely dog it's shit. It's a crapshoot. That's it, just yeah. how it is on YouTube. It's just a total fucking crapshoot. But shoot. yeah, like then you find yourself like you know. I think once you get into your late thirties, early forties, and you're still doing this like goofy thing you created twenty years ago or however long ago, it gets to a point to where it's like, dude, I want to be more. I want to do something more grandiose than this yeah. internet character. You know, I want to. I want to direct a, a feature film that actually gets into theaters that doesn't suck. I want to make it. I want to get signed by a record label and like you know have a legit. Or maybe actually, it's different with musicians. Like you can actually totally make it just through YouTube and have a fan base and and live yeah. your dream and go out on the road and play shows uh-huh. just like a touring band would. You're, you're not gonna reach the pinnacle of superstardom. Well, I mean, there were pop stars that got discovered on YouTube. Right. I mean, I mean it's a rare fucking Joji. Thing. Joji, uh, Oliver Tree to a certain Bieber? degree. Yeah, yeah, Bieber. He was discovered on YouTube by Ursher. And Ursher <laughs> gave Bieber the beats to make his booty go clap. 